Hello and welcome to episode 9, The Time Factor. Healing venous leg ulcers with compression and we are really excited to have you joining us for this podcast. We have two really exceptional guests who have spent a long time treating patients with compression, patients with venous leg ulcers, patients with lymphedema and patients with severe varicose veins. And joining us on today's podcast is uh, Mr. Frank Aviles and we've got Professor Harry Krishnanair, who is president-elect of the World Union of Wound Healing Society. So we're delighted to have both of you joining us. So welcome. Thank you Thank for you having very much, Megan. So let's talk a little bit about the key indications for using compression therapy in patients with chronic venous insufficiency. I mean, we do have obviously symptomatic varicose veins, venous leg ulceration, chronic venous disease, edema, prevention of thromboembolism, prevention of recurrent venous leg ulcers, severe varicose veins, post-thrombotic syndrome and healing wounds. Compression really aids the symptoms of aching, muscle cramping, swelling that may be associated with varicose veins. And when these symptoms of varicose veins progress on to chronic venous insufficiency, compression has a really vital role to play, which we will explore during this podcast. Compression bandages or stockings are really a mainstay of therapy to help heal venous leg ulcers. And the compression aids the ulcer healing by reducing that ambulatory venous hypertension and we will chat to Professor Harry Krishnanair with you shortly and able to get some more information on exactly why pressure control is important for compression. And we're often using graduated compression stockings to help prevent DVTs, deep venous thrombosis formation after some high-risk surgeries and also in high-risk patients. We also find that in post-thrombatic syndrome that compression stockings can help manage chronic venous insufficiencies and symptoms after DVT as well. So that's another vital role of compression. So we'll explore more of the roles of compression. And obviously another well-known benefit is prevention of recurrent venous leg ulcers. And oftentimes in clinical practice, we will really continue to use ongoing compression stockings to help prevent the recurrence of ulcers once we've healed a venous leg ulcer. So these are already important factors. We're going to be diving in very shortly to that discussion with Professor Harry Krishnanair and Mr. Frank Aviles, Jr. So Professor Harry Krishnanair, you are a leading expert in wound care and we're delighted to have you joining us uh, with another global expert, Frank Aviles, Jr. And we are going to spend the next 30 minutes exposing our audience to as much knowledge about compression as as we can. So uh, you've conducted this wonderful study. Um, it's a global study uh, on Compriflex and it's a special compression device. And shall we start with kind of asking you a little bit about how the study was designed? How did you go about it? Yeah, I see what we did is we had a, a multi-center trial now, the thing is, uh, we actually utilized the Compriflex wraps in patients with uh, chronic venous insufficiency. It was a quasi-experimental post-market clinical follow-up study. And uh, these four centers was actually the uh, wound care center in Kuala Lumpur Hospital, which is the main hospital of the Ministry of Health, and also in the uh, National University of Malaysia and the uh, University of Malaya and the Islamic University of Malaysia. So there's four centers. 100 patients, basically, and uh, the three other centers were fully vascular centers, basically. 
And uh, interestingly, we actually uh, recruited these patients and uh, we had consent for about 100 patients there. And only thing is uh, there was a bit of, I think, two people dropped out at the beginning stage. But the rest actually went through the uh, whole process. So we actually followed them up for about 12 weeks. And then following that, we actually continued the follow-up until about 26 weeks. Now, interestingly, basically, you find that uh, venous insufficiency is a very big problem. And uh, Malaysia is hot and humid. So putting on basically compression bandaging, which is the mainstay of treatment, is actually quite difficult. Because the thing is, for them to be compliant for a four-layer bandage, which is the gold standard, or even to downgrade to maybe a two-layer bandage, you find that you know it's very difficult for them to actually uh, maintain that. That's why we found that the uh, usage of these wraps, which is something new basically coming from Switzerland, and it's effective in the sense that you got graduated compression of one grade one, grade two, and grade three, and the and it's removable. The patients can actually use it. And in terms of uh, cost effectiveness, also because you see when you use the compression bandaging, you throw it off, you cut it off, and throw it off after you use it. And once and maybe twice a week, basically you have to change. Now the, with the wraps, you can actually wash and put it back. And you can start with grade three and then slowly come down to grade two or even grade one, depending on when you have got sufficient reduction in the uh, circumference and also in the uh, edema levels, especially in these patients uh, who are having uh, long-standing uh, CVIs and all. So it's a good particular uh, product. And we actually, what we did is we actually supplied the uh, Compliflex wraps, uh, thanks to Ziquaris for that. And our patients actually had that. It was, and it worked quite remarkably well. And uh, they were able to actually uh, use it. And it was quite simple, straightforward. They have got the Acutabs with Velcro and all that. So they can put it on. It's very easy to apply. And uh, we had 100 patients for this trial itself. And uh, the few dropouts, basically, we did not we recruit again. And uh, all centers, actually, all four centers found uh, a lot of improvement. Now, one of the things that we actually looked at, I mean, if you look at uh, Mosti's studies and all that, Basically, before this, when you looked at uh, compression bandaging and all that, some of the things is basically you're looking at whether it's comfortable, whether they, there's a proper satisfaction, whether it actually there's any slippage, whether it's able for them to actually continue their health-related quality of life, their movement, and uh, other aspects and all that. So this is something very, very important. So it is something which can allow them to continue the uh, normal daily routine. If you basically change it, that's going to be very difficult. And it's not a short period. And they have been having this kind of uh, CVIs for years. So it's a good process in the, in the term of uh, methodology itself. And we had good support in terms of uh, analysis and all that. And we managed to actually recruit uh, the patients at the stipulated time and all that. Hmm. And uh, Professor Nair, these were patients with varicose uh, ulcers, venous insufficiency of the leg. And then you had some primary outcome measures, which essentially were was the wound size would that be right yes and, so we and did is, yeah actually what you got is uh, the, the primary outcome is looking at the size of the wound or the wound area itself the length and width of the uh, wound size itself and then what you got is uh over the time to healing also how long it took for you to heal and all that and you find that uh, this is actually and then we did a bit of uh, predictors of interest that means looking at uh, satisfaction, which is a 1 to 10 scale, and then looking at the demography, basically, looking at whether it's comfortable and all that. Then we also measured the leg circumference, and that was done basically at the foot and also at the calf. And uh, we actually uh, looked at the uh, edema volume reduction. 
Now yeah. that's important also. So uh, this was a few things that we actually looked at basically too. And also the wound surface was the one that uh, showed quite good improvement. I mean, that is the main primary objective of that. And uh, just for the audience who obviously, because this hasn't been published yet, uh, just so they can get an idea, you were looking at ulcer size and you were measuring that the length head to toe at the longest point, and then you were measuring the width side to side at the widest point. And then you also used that inner border of the wound for reference uh, for both length and width. Um, and then in terms of the DEMA volume, that secondary outcome measure, you really did uh, the level of basically the tip of the great toe, the base of the metatarsal phalangeal joints, and then mid-tarsal line, and then you did 12 centimeters from that um, and progressively basically measured the volume of edema, obviously at the start and then at the end of this compression therapy. Um, so that's, that's interesting. And Frank, I'll bring you in here if you don't mind. And in terms of patients that would benefit from compression, we talked a little bit about obviously chronic venous insufficiency, but you've had a vast experience um, in your clinical practice, haven't you, of, of other patients that would, you know, be suitable for this type of, of therapy? Yeah, and actually that, that's a great question because now there's articles being published that even patients with that experience of diabetic foot ulcer have swelling that we're not addressing. And in my world, anytime you have swelling, you have decreased oxygenation and nutrients to where you need it to go. And I'm finding that out also with the thermography images that I'm taking, you can see how hypoxic that wound bed is. And so it is important to look not just at patients that have a venous condition, but also lymphatic and also diabetes and also any kind of wounds, even a pressure injury. And so, but I do have a question for Professor, Professor Nair. And, um, you know, you heard that statement a long time ago, uh, some compression is better than no compression. And that was after everybody kept saying, use the multi-layer system. The problem that we see in the clinic, let's just make it a real world question, is that when they come to the clinic, I can tell you most of them don't want a four layer compression. And so in the study, did you get you know that kind of uh, uh, feedback from patients? Very good question. Because the good part about it basically is some of these patients over the years, because they're chronic cases, they've actually used compression before, whether four layer or two layer or even the single layer ones. But the thing is, when they used the uh, wraps, they were quite happy with it. And even in our study, we showed basically they were satisfied because it's comfortable. And uh, they felt much better using it compared to using the basic compression, whether it's, uh, I mean, the, the gold standards, basically. And uh, that was something which we found that, you know, we could actually look at their compliance and their adherence to treatment. And that helped to actually get the uh, results from the uh, 100 patient trial. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you know, in the, Frank, you mentioned this real world experience and, you know, often have times you have patients with venous ulceration coming to clinic, you ask them, have you been wearing your compression? Because they turn up not wearing their compression. And then you get this sort of period of time where they're trying to diplomatically tell you that they it's too hot or I find it really painful to put it on or I can't have all day with it on. And, and obviously a lot of this treatment is based on consistency of compression. Isn't that right? And even though this is a, a different type of compression, so it's a Velcro uh, type fastening, you're maintaining the consistency, is that right, of the, the pressure administered uh, during that time that the, the usage is, is occurring? 
true. I mean, what you call this, the most important is for compression to work, it shouldn't be like, you know, uh, like intermittent or basically cyclical and negative pressure. That's different. You have to maintain this graduated pressure because you're trying, there's too much of venous pooling. You need to push back the blood back to the, uh, eight, uh, to the atrium and to the right heart, basically. So you will need proper compression. So the thing is, adherence is very important. And mainstay of uh, all chronic venous deficiency, even lymphedema and everything else, is compression. And the thing is, you have to make sure that your patients are wearing it because we have a kind of a joke that we say that, you know, you talk about the sick technique or the puta technique, you know, you do the uh, level, uh, what you call it, the figure of eight. But after some time, you'll see the patients coming back with all kinds of funny figures because they just take it off. (laughs) It's it's sweaty, it's hot, it's humid, it's itchy, you know, all kinds of things they have. And there's lots of excuses there. So that's the problem, basically. Yeah. See, so. Yeah, and, and yeah. Look, I'm going to share something with you because if you look back at the work that they did with Total Contact Cast, and it mm. showed that people that were giving something that they can put on and take off, they wear it. I think it was like 29% of the time they wear it. So when it came to compression, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm like, no, I'm not going Velcro or alternative. I'm going to go with the mainstream, which is wrapping. But what I'm finding out is they take it off. And then, you know, it's like they probably don't have compression now for about three days before they get back to me. So now I'm kind of going back to saying maybe the alternative or the Velcro is the best thing for the patients because they are wearing it, which is totally different from what I expected. True. I agree. Because the thing is like, you know, if you, um, I mean, I think in a lot of lymphedema cases, I mean, strapping is one of the main things they do. But because of the uh, cumbersome usage of that, sometimes patients don't want to adhere to that. And this will be easy because nowadays everything is Velcro. I mean, even if you have uh, tubic ribs, you have knee pains, you have arthritis and all that, you end up using things with Velcro and, you know, and they are very, very compliant to it. So yeah. that's a good uh, thing to do. And it's something new. So it's, it's uh, catching on very fast. Even in my clinic, we used to buy um, about a thousand compression bandages, basically. I mean, uh, the sets per year per se basically but now we have reduced it to less than half because i'm getting more of my patients actually using compression uh, wraps basically or the compreflex wraps which seems to work much better and uh, in the long term the cost is also much cheaper because they don't throw it away they just can reuse it so no problem in your study did you find that you were having to uh, use compression bilaterally on these patients, especially because we always say that patients with lymphedema could have, you know, bilateral asymmetrical swelling. Yeah, we had what you call this, uh, some of these cases, basically, both legs were swollen. And the thing is, if you have chronic venous insufficiency, you expect, like, you know, not only the place where the ulcer is, but also the other leg. So we supplied basically a pair for all of them. And so they were able to use it for both sides. And, you know, it was uh, quite, uh, I mean, uh, well uh, received by the patient itself. Because one of the one of the other sort of criticisms from patients about using compression, and that's probably the reason there's about fifty percent non-compliance, is that they feel like there could be slippage of the compression. There's pain, inability to maintain the hygiene of the leg, the inability to wear normal footwear. I mean, these are all sort of concerns that patients have with compression. So 
the more that we can do to try and minimize those other reasons for not using compression is, I guess, the better the chance of success. Um, because there's been a lot of evidence supporting compression, promoting the healing of venous ulcers. And it seems to be that essential criteria and that essential step that's often missed when patients are referred to us further along down the line with a venous ulcer that's not healing is because that compression hasn't been initiated early. So what did you find uh, the experience was in terms of um, the limb volume uh, changes? Did you did you find that was something that the patients could obviously, it was a tangible measure of, of their progress. Did that help them essentially co continue to comply with the treatment? Or did you feel that patients really managed to comply for that whole 26 weeks uh, no, period? Actually, uh, uh, I think two points here, basically. Number one is within the first week of recruitment, you found that uh, there was a huge reduction in the size. And they were very happy because within a week, they found that there was uh, a kind of a improvement as a success story, basically, and all that. So they're very happy with that. And then that particular uh, reduction continued on until 12 weeks. And then further, basically, up to about 26 weeks and all that. And as usual, after some time, basically, a slight uh, uh, rise back, basically, I mean, in terms of edema, but not that much. But the good part, basically, is the uh, p-values were all significant. It was all below uh, 0 0.001 for even 12 weeks and even for 26 weeks. But you expect that basically because it comes down steep and then it takes a bit more longer, uh, what do you call this, a kind of a slope. And then it's basically slightly at the end of 26 weeks, it just, there's a slight, is in there because you find that, you know, uh, it's just normalizing. So which is, quite uh, efficient and is much, much lesser compared to the first time we started uh, compression itself. And the good part about it is basically even the wound surface reduction followed the same uh, uh, trajectory as the uh, reduction of the uh, edema volume itself. So patients were happy because they had something which is uh, easy to use, easy to remove, and then they can keep it on longer without uh, any problems. And on top of that, there was no slippage. They were able to go around their normal work. They were able to actually put on shoes. And uh, at the end of the day, they saw results. And they saw it within the first week. And that continued on for 12 weeks. So they were very happy with that. So that actually, I think, is one of the key factors to uh, make sure that they adhere and they are compliant to the uh, modality itself. I do yeah, have I Congratulations on such a great study because, uh, you know, it's trying to think forward to how we can all apply that to our uh, clinical um, practice. Sorry, Frank, I interrupted you. You're about to. It's okay. Uh, look, I, I think of my grandmother uh, because I try to put her in garments and she couldn't do it. And then all of a sudden we got Velcro uh, devices and she loved it. But for your patients and help me out because I'm thinking of the clinic after those wounds heal, were you telling them to stay with the Compraflex or were you putting them in garments or were you doing a combination? What? Okay, actually what happens is for some of them, I mean, once the wound uh, heals completely, there's two uh, ways of doing it. Some of them prefer to continue using the Compraflex wraps. So we just give them graduated, instead of using graduated stockings and all that. You know how, uh, I mean, how interesting it is to put a stocking on and remove it basically. And they always have a problem with that. So some of them basically keep, basically, so keep the wraps on, but we downgrade it because instead of basically three, we bring it down to grade two. So grade two graduation, graduated uh, compression is sufficient. Now in some patients, what happens is basically they want to actually change to something much more easier. So we move to the ulcer X. 
that is the uh, stocking part which has got two layers so you've got an inner padding and then you've got the outer stocking itself and that's also quite comfortable so to some of these patients we actually moved to that but the bulk of them basically still preferred to use the uh, wraps and they were happy about it and and professor you mentioned grade two and there's different scales throughout the world can you tell us what that is in millimeters of mercury yep okay Basically, what they call is your grade three is about 35 to 40 and all that. Grade two will be about 26 to 34. And then grade one is what they call is up to about 20. Okay. So it's just nice. So basically, you don't have to be too high and it doesn't have to be too low. So grade two is still something to just as a maintenance thing. We always start off with grade three first. Like even if you look at compression bandaging like Propor and all that, basically it's 17 to 40 meter mercury. And then the two-layer bandagings is about 20, 25 meter mercury. So it's just coming down to that step, basically, just to maintain it. Okay, thank you. And uh, what's what's the next step, do you think, of this research, Professor, in terms of uh, what are you hoping to kind of look at next? You've done a, a really big trial within these four centers, but how are we going to translate that into um, further studies, in your opinion? Okay, the other, the other thing is basically to do comparative studies. Because the thing is, uh, previously I did uh, some cases basically with uh, two-layer bandaging and also the sequential contraction uh, devices, which are also available. You know, there's quite a number of devices available in Europe and all that. We also did a study on that. Now, that one has been sent for publication for the intentional lower extremities wounds, where we have a non-inferential, what you call this, study to show that it is still usable in comparison with uh, just uh, compression itself. So the other plan basically is more comparative studies, basically with the current compression or the gold standard itself to at least show that, you know, this shows you a, a longer wear time and uh, more compliance compared to what you call that. That's one. Number two is to add a level of uh, health economics to it. That means basically to calculate what you call this, the pricing and the, uh, I mean, and the amount they use, all the hidden costs of patients coming in often to the clinic and all that. And then the thing is, you know, when they remove it and reuse again, basically you find that you need newer uh, products or whatever. The, so the numbers and all that. So that health economic study is very effective because the thing is, once we do that, then we can show to the government and to, I wouldn't say pencil pushers, but anyway, that's what they are. So that will be more helpful for them because they look at pricing. They look at costs. So the Ministry of Finance will not finance anything from that. So number one, we have to show them that we are saving money, the taxpayers' money, basically. So it's something that should be in the mainstream of treatment. It should be inducted into the uh, algorithm itself in terms of the clinical pathway, basically, how to manage patients with uh, venous ulceration in chronic cases and all that. So that is something that should be incorporated. And that's the next step, basically. So at least, you know, uh, that will actually spell a better outcome for most patients. So essentially prophylactic for patients with chronic venous insufficiency getting picked up early when, they, when they've had their duplex scanning, when they've had their venous limb studies, picking that up really early prophylactically before they get any indication that they're going to develop venous ulceration. And obviously the cost saving of treating venous ulceration for a prolonged period, which we all know is significant. And Frank, possibly where you are is the most expensive place, isn't it, for patients having to have prolonged wound therapy. Yeah, and you know, the problem that we have is that as of right now, a lot of the products are not covered uh, depending on the setting. So, but you know, when you educate the patient on the importance and what could develop down the road, 
I haven't had a patient yet to say, I'm not going to buy it. Um, but what's interesting is I've been using long wave infrared and also uh, nears, near infrared spectroscopy before and after I take compression to look at the wound bed. I'd be curious um, to get some of your products and, and look at that too. Because again, if you can change that infrared temperature or the oxygenation, you know that wound's going to progress. So looking for more objective measurements then essentially to take that evidence to the next level, um, essentially. Mm -hmm. There's an idea, Professor. <laughs> yep, that's a good idea because I think uh, I heard that same thing in uh, the uh, UIP meeting in, when they had it in Turkey. So they were actually looking at that to show the prognosis, basically. I mean, prognostic factors are actually quite good. And uh, this will be the best to actually see, like, you know, which ulcers will go on to heal. Because I've got some cases which come in maybe about, uh, they've been referred to us after 38 years of having a venous ulcer and it's never closed. So his mm -hmm. venous ulcer is, has been uh, with him much longer than even his wife. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know. Yeah. I won't come to you, Frank, on that one. <laughs> and the interesting thing about it is actually I'm using the technology to guide physicians into which intervention is working for the patient. If it's not working, we got to tweak it a little bit. And uh, it's just another objective way to figure out if you're in the right direction. Thank you so much, gentlemen. It's been a really delightful uh, podcast. And you know, I've learned a lot about, obviously, the way that this system works, particularly in the, in the clinics that you uh, gathered the data, Professor. And obviously, Frank, your application to your clinical practice as well. Um, it's been a really really interesting discussion so i thank both of you for your time um for for joining us today thank you thank for you very much again frank found that discussion uh, with Frank and Harry really crystallized that the level and type of compression needs to be tailored to the indication and adjusted basically based on the individual patient's comfort and tolerance. But in general, compression therapy really is a fundamental treatment for most forms of chronic venous sufficiency. And the challenge as clinicians is trying to find a way where patients can actually comply at a much higher level than they currently are. The general principles for applying compression bandages to patients with venous leg ulcers. So let's have a little think about the take home messages. I think the key messages are that principles are that you would normally start distally and move up proximally. So starting at the toes and the forefoot and moving proximally up, up the leg. Um, and that's to prevent constricting the circulation distally. You need to ensure a proper technique. Um, so proper technique of application of your compression device, well, whether that be Velcro style compression, whether that be a compression bandage, you really want to maximize sustained compression and avoid any wrinkling of the skin underneath the compression. Think about the kind of compression systems that you you choose for your patients. Obviously, there's multi-layer bandaging and those multi-layer systems, as you know, have inner non-elastic bandage and an outer elastic wrap and that provide effective graduated compression. You then have the alternative of using uh, Velcro style compression, which we had discussed during this podcast. But it is worthwhile just looking at the structure of the, the device that you're using for compression. As with any compression devices, make sure to check for any adverse effects. And that would include assessing arterial circulation, pain, 
skin irritation and adjusting whereby necessary. It's important to identify the level of compression that's required uh, and to try and maintain that compression throughout the period of therapy. Also really important to educate the patient on elevation and exercise, advise keeping the legs elevated and encouraging ambulation just to try and boost the effects of compression. Monitoring and reassessing is a, a really key step and re-evaluating on an ongoing basis for any deterioration of the wound or any complications that might need adjustment of your compression. Emphasising compliance and following these evidence-based recommendations really helps optimise the benefits of compression for venous leg ulcer healing. And we're essentially trying to minimise risk while maximising compliance and the benefits. So we're really happy that you joined us for this really interesting one-hour podcast. Uh, we've got an excellent episode 10 coming up in two weeks. Don't forget to register for the Wound Masterclass Academy. You can do this at woundmasterclass.com forward slash register that will enable you to have full access to all our free content uh, which includes our master series events the summit series all our podcasts and all the free articles within the moon masterclass journal so thanks again for tuning in and really looking forward to seeing you at the next event